0: Our text this morning will come from the book of Acts chapter 6, and in preparation for that, let's read from Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verse 33 to 42. So Peter and John have just been in front of the Jewish authorities and have been commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus. But they've, they've said that they're going to keep doing it anyway. And then we read Acts 5, beginning of verse 33. When they heard this, that's the Jewish authorities, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodas rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him Were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's also read from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. In this letter, Paul gives he writes to the Philippians about the foundation for our faith, the unity that we have as believers, the foundation for that unity. We'll read about that in Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, So far the reading, let's also now turn to our text, which is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Acts chapter 6. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So far from God's holy word. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the early 1900s, immigrants flooded into the United States of America, coming from many different countries around Europe. Ships came from Britain, from Ireland, from Germany, Italy, and many other countries, bringing much ethnic diversity into the States. And during this time, America was described as a melting pot, a melting pot into which many different ethnicities were stirred, many ethnicities being the ingredients to form one American nationality. The idea of the melting pot was that many different people groups would join together, that they would forget about their past divisions in Europe and that they would be united under the star-spangled banner. But history has shown us that the melting pot has never worked. Ethnic division has plagued the United States throughout its history. It only takes a brief look at the news today to see that There is still much division there, not only in the States, but throughout the entire world. And it's in such a world that the church is called to give witness to Jesus Christ. Because in this world, Jesus is working to gather for himself a people from all tribes, from all nations and languages, a church which is joyfully united in him, where divisions are truly overcome, and where all people are equally cared for, including the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. And yet sometimes division can creep into the church. Because as members of the church, we can forget that we all belong to Jesus, and favoritism can begin to divide us. Even things like prejudice can come into the church. And at times the church is not the refuge that it is called to be. In our text this morning, we can see the horrible reality of this beginning to happen in the early church. Perhaps when you think about the early church, you think this is the golden age of the church. When lots of new believers are coming to the Lord and when there is new faith being worked, it's a golden age. The church is flourishing and it's an exciting time. But our text also shows us that the devil is fighting hard then as well the early church had its problems too. But despite the challenges that we see in the early church, our text this morning shows us Jesus Christ, our risen and ascended Savior, caring for his church. Through his Holy Spirit, who he poured out at Pentecost, Christ makes the provision necessary so that his church can continue to be a witness of him to the ends of the earth. In his grace, he gives to his church men to serve both tables and the word. Well, first of all, we'll see the need for that service. Christ gives men to serve tables and the word. First of all, we'll see the need for that service. Babs, you remember from last week that we saw the church began with a, a beautiful unity. The believers had all things in common. They were sharing all their possessions. It's a beautiful picture of unity in the church at the end of chapter 4, but sadly this unity didn't last long. The beautiful picture was stained by the reality of division that we read about in our texts. Acts 6 verse 1, when the number of the disciples was increasing, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So in Jerusalem at the time, there were two groups of Jews. There were the Hebrew Jews and then there were the Hellenist Jews or the Greek-speaking Jews. The Hebrew Jews were the ones native to Jerusalem. They'd always lived there. They could count their generations back for many generations. They spoke Hebrew and Aramaic and they were still very Jewish. But the Hellenist Jews were different because at this time in history, there were Jews living in many different places around Israel For example, there was a Jewish community in Alexandria in Egypt. Other Jews had stayed behind in Babylon after the Israelites went there to exile. And these Jews were still somewhat Jewish, but they spoke Greek and perhaps picked up some Greek culture as well while they lived in these other countries. And then many of these Jews came back to live in Jerusalem. Maybe they wanted to retire there or something. And so they settled in Jerusalem, speaking Greek and taking parts of Greek culture with them. To help us imagine this, it's a little bit like the city of Brampton, where you have Punjabi Canadians living alongside traditional Canadians. In a similar way, Jerusalem had the separate communities of Hellenist Jews and Hebrew Jews. But when the early church began, it included people from both of these groups. Well, they had previously lived in separate communities, now they became part of the same movement, the same group of people. And it had worked really well at first, as we saw last week. In Acts 4, the early church had all things in common. There was a beautiful unity. But it didn't last. A complaint arose that the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Widows neglected in the church. Now, this should not have happened. In the church we're not sure if this was a direct act of direct ethnic discrimination but there was at least the perception of prejudice behind this complaint and neither neglect of widows nor a hint of prejudice should happen in the church of jesus christ actually in the old testament god had commanded his people to look after widows in deuteronomy 14 god commanded that a special collection be made for the levite the sojourner the orphans and the widows so god made a special provision for them in fact god himself cares for widows in a special way psalm 68:5 says that god is a father of the fatherless and defender of widows orphans and widows they were the most vulnerable the most unprotected in society and and what an astounding picture of god brothers and sisters the almighty, the all-sovereign God who who moves planets and controls oceans. What a an astounding picture of his love, that he loves the poorest, the most vulnerable and unprotected. Early this year, my grandmother passed away and she'd been a, a widow for 30 years. And we sang from this psalm, Psalm 68. And we could know that for each of those 30 years, God was her protector, a defender of widows. What an amazing God we have that he shows his love for for the most vulnerable and the weakest. You can also see this in Jesus' ministry when he healed many widows and vulnerable people. The heart of God is shown in the love of Jesus for orphans and widows. And further, God also uses the church as a means to protect such vulnerable people. We sang from Psalm 147, where it says that the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Jerusalem, the church, this is the place where God gathers vulnerable people, the place where he protects widows and orphans in distress. How tragic then that widows were being neglected. Because widows should never be neglected in the church. And neither should there be a hint of prejudice in the church. Because if there's one place where there should be unity between all people groups, it's the church of Jesus. If there's one place where everyone is equal and treated equally, it's in the church. As we read from Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says that Jesus himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. We all belong to the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what people group we come from, what job we have, what family we belong to, what our views are on COVID. We are one in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's just pause for a second to admire the beautiful picture that the church is called to be. The church is called to reflect the heart of God for the weak and vulnerable, to express the love that Jesus himself showed. And further, the church is called to be united in him, in Jesus, because we have all been saved by his great love for us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The church of Jesus Christ, a place of refuge, a place of joy, a taste of heaven. But the complaint that we see in our text, it threatened that beautiful reality. This was a problem that needed to be dealt with. And it needed to be dealt with especially because it was leading to A second problem, which is the problem of distraction, verse 2, says that the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now you remember from last week that the apostles were giving testimony of Jesus' resurrection with great power. This was their calling to be witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. But this problem to serve tables It's an important task, but it was a distraction from their task to which they had been called. They could see that the problem needed to be dealt with, but they could also see that it would distract them from their task and calling. Their service was to the word. Now note that both of these problems, the problem of distribution and the problem of distraction, both have the same root, and there is a danger of the church shifting its focus away from having Jesus at the center. Now, this is a danger for us today as well. There's a danger that we can forget our identity as one in Jesus Christ. There's the danger that we can lose our focus of building each other up into unity and maturity in Christ. But there's also the danger that pastors and elders can become distracted from their central task of bringing the word to God's people. There is the danger that preachers can forget the priority of prayer and preaching. In short, the church can lose its focus on Jesus. And so we can see in our text that in in order to maintain the focus on Christ, the early church had a need for service both to tables and to the Word. In our second point, we'll see the provision of this service. First, there's a provision for the service of tables. The apostles called a congregational meeting with the whole church including both the Jewish Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews. And then we read in verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So in their congregational meeting, the apostles told them to elect seven men full of the Spirit and wisdom. The problem is a complex problem, as we've seen, and so it required wisdom to deal with it. And the Spirit was the one who would equip these men. He was the source of their wisdom. There's a couple of things we can note about the names of the men they chose. Most of them are Greek names, which means that some of them are probably Hellenist Jews. They come from that group of Jews where the complaint came from. And further, Nicholas was a proselyte, He wasn't a Jew, but he had converted to the Jewish religion. So he also belonged to this community of Hellenists. So we can see that at least some of these men come from the same community where the complaint has arisen from. And as members of this community, they would have been able to sensitively and wisely deal with the issues that caused the complaints. Well, after these men had been elected, the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. Laying on of hands in the Old Testament was a sign of being consecrated for service. In the book of Acts, the laying on of hands was often accompanied with the pouring out of the Spirit. And so these men were equipped with the Spirit for this important and special task of serving tables. And in this way, we can see Christ providing men for his church. Jesus had poured out his Spirit at Pentecost And now we can see the Spirit filling these men for the service of charity. Jesus continues to care for his church. and This is no less true today. He is still caring for his church today. And one of the ways that he does that now is by providing deacons for his church. Now, in our text, the the seven men are not called deacons. They're simply called the seven. And it seems that they had a special role in the early church. For example, Stephen and Philip were also preachers of the gospel in addition to serving tables. And so we could call these men the the seven special servants or the special seven. But we do know that deacons became an office in the church later on. For example, Paul writes to the Philippians, to the saints in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. He also writes about qualifications for deacons in 1 Timothy 3. And so the deacons became Christ's gift to his church for the service of charity. The form for deacons says that they have the responsibility to see the good progress of the service of charity in the church. And so the church of Jesus Christ, stimulated by deacons, cares and loves for those with needs and difficulties. The church is a refuge for all who are oppressed. This is a reflection of the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, who showed his love indiscriminately, who relieved the burdens of the widows and the oppressed. And so we can see that in response to the complaint about the widows, provision is made for the service of charity. And this provision allowed the apostles to devote themselves to their task, to their calling, to witness Jesus and his resurrection. The apostles said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. They would devote themselves. They would give all their time and energy to that task. Note the emphasis on prayer. The passage here is referring to the the task of the apostles specifically as they were involved in the ministry of the word. Because as servants of the word, they relied on the spirit to work through the word to illumine dark hearts and minds. And so they pray for the Spirit. The Catechism says that God gives his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts. Because it's the Spirit who works faith, not the apostles. The Spirit works through the word and so they must pray for the Spirit. The Apostle Paul exemplifies this in his ministry. Read through the letters of Paul, and you see that they're saturated with prayers. Prayers for the people of God, for their growth in faith, for Christ to be formed in them. Prayers of thankfulness, prayers for the progress of the gospel. As a servant of the word, Paul gave himself continually to prayer. He prayed all the time. And this passage has a special word this morning for pastors and elders, for all those involved in in word ministry. Because God has entrusted you with the care of his people. And he's also given you his word. He's called you to be faithful to that word. And our passage here this morning tells us that you're also called to be devoted to prayer. As you serve God's people with his word, you rely on the spirit. And elders, I'm sure you realize better than else, anyone else that you can't change people. Because only the spirit can. So be men devoted to prayer. Pray for the people under your leadership. Pray with them. As leaders of the church, we must be devoted to prayer. Well, as as well as being a specific calling to those involved in word ministry, prayer is also for every Christian. All of us have the task and the responsibility to pray. We see that in the book of Acts. Acts 1.14, the whole church devoted themselves to prayer. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. The entire early church devoted themselves to prayer. You can also see this in, in Paul's writings. He says, pray without ceasing. Devote yourself to prayer, Romans 12. Continue steadfastly with prayer, Colossians 4. These commands are directed at All Christians. As Christians, God calls us to pray to him, and he gives us the great opportunity to do that privilege of prayer. Are we a praying church? Are we devoted to prayer? Well, prayer also binds us together. The unity that we heard about at the end of Acts 4, surely that was in part a result of the believers devoting themselves to prayer. Remember last week we heard that the apostles prayed from Psalm 2. And in this way they were conforming their prayers with God's will. They were praying in line with God's will for the spread of his kingdom. And so prayer, especially prayer which is in response to God's word, it shapes our priorities to be more according to God's will. And then when we pray together, our priorities all become more Christ-centered more God-centered, and as that happens, then the differences between us become less important. It helps us to focus on Jesus when we pray together. God desires a united group of people. Paul says to believers in Philippi, I urge you to be of the same mind in the Lord. And when we pray, especially in response to passages like this, we are bound together. Prayer unites. Prayer is a tool that God uses to bind his people together. And so especially when division threatens to tear the church apart, we need to pray. Brothers and sisters, let's be a people devoted to prayer, praying with each other, praying for each other, praying for the spread of God's kingdom in the, and his word. Well, as well as prayer, the apostles devoted themselves to the ministry of the word. Note the centrality here of the word, the focus. The word is to have the central place in ministry. And why? Well, because the word of God is his revelation. In his word, he teaches us about himself, especially as he has revealed himself through his son. The word is all about Jesus from the Old Testament to the new. And so when God's word is central, then the church can maintain its focus on Jesus, on being his community united in him. The gifts of elders and deacons and pastors, they're given to the church so that it can remain focused on Jesus. These men are gifts of Jesus to his church. And so we can see in his love that Jesus provides men to serve tables and men to serve the word, and he equips them with his spirit. He continues to care for his church. The powerful name of Jesus that we heard two weeks ago about, that will continue to spread throughout the earth. And we'll see that in our third point, the result of this service. Because while different people groups remain divided in the church, in the world, God unites them in his church. The problem in our text, it had the potential to divide the church and to limit the spread of the gospel. But God is at work in the church, and so it cannot be overthrown. The message of salvation will continue to go out to the ends of the earth. And so we read in verse 7, The word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God increased. As we've seen, the church is built on the word, The word about Jesus, that's the foundation of the church. And so the name of Jesus witnessed in his word was being spread. The word increased. Again, it shows to us the importance of the word. The provision of the seven special servants allowed for the word to increase as the apostles devoted themselves to that word. And so the name of Jesus continued to spread. The word also had an impact on many priests who became obedient to the faith. Because now that the temple was no longer central in their worship, but the name of Jesus was central. So now these priests, instead of making sacrifices, worshipped Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. Instead of serving God in the temple, they served God by being temples of the Holy Spirit. The temple worship was done away with, and they became members of the church by believing in Jesus Christ. And today it's our Lord Jesus who remains the foundation of the church. It's through him that we belong to the church. We believe that he has died to bring us into a relationship with God. Because Jesus showed his love by dying for the whole church, by people from all different tribes and nations. He did not discriminate when he was on the cross, but he showed his love indiscriminately for his people. He loved us despite our sin and our un- un- unloveliness. He loved us without regarding our ethnic background or our job position or our standing in society. And so we also must have faith in him, believing that he has died for us. It wasn't enough, it's not enough to simply be born in the church, as it wasn't enough for the priests to be born as Levites. They also needed to believe in Jesus. And so we also need to have faith in him. It's only through him that we are saved. So brothers and sisters, let us all continue to look in faith to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can recognize that he is still working today. Today, he still works by giving men for the ministry of charity, especially the deacons. And he also gives men for the ministry of his word. Both of these ministries today still have the task to keep the church fixed on Jesus, to be Christ-centered. The foundation of the church in the time of the apostles was Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And so they continued to preach him. And the foundation of the church in our time is still Jesus. And so the church continues to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. And so the church today must remain focused on him. The service of charity, including the work of the deacons, it reflects the love that Jesus has for the poor and weaker members of society. And the service of the word is all about Jesus and the message of salvation through him. The melting pot of America will never achieve real or lasting unity. But Jesus is working to bring together a vast multitude of people a multitude which will fill much more than this area of grass. We can read about that in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May the church continue to witness that message to the ends of the earth and may God be glorified. Amen.